0: This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news,
1: data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Natalie Drost, marketing and UA lead at Fabulous. Natalie, welcome to the business of House podcast.
0: Hey, so happy to be here.
1: Great. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming. My pleasure. For more than a century, scientists have been trying to pin down what sets us humans apart from the rest of the animal kingdom. The most prominent feature that seems to be doing the job is collecting, sharing, and storing information. You as an app marketer are always on the quest for new information, namely to learn from your peers how to handle various parts of the app marketing equation. So today I have Natalie from Fabulous App to share with you her user acquisition strategies that help her at work. But first, let's start with talking about you, Natalie. Tell us about yourself a little bit. Uh,
0: I'm Ukrainian. I like dark humor and sarcasm. Uh, I love mountains and marketing. But as we're here to talk about more user position and business related things, I have to highlight my five years of experience in subscription-based applications, in especially in health and wellness niche. Uh, what I do, I do a lot of things within user position and marketing from ASO and organic activities up to influencer marketing and Channels such as Facebook
1: or Google. The app industry is vast. To navigate this space, you need a directory to look up suppliers and partners, and you need to know who are the best. Visit our marketplace directory at businessofappscom marketplace slash podcast. And now back to the show. Well, that's a pretty good run up. Um, how long have you been doing this?
0: more than five years already oh
1: well, that's that that's that's a good uh I, I believe a good set of uh marketing campaigns under your belt by now after f- more than five years
0: and one burnout of course
1: oh <laughs> of course that, that counts uh all right um fabulous uh your company well why is it fabulous tell us about your company please is that good <laughs> that's because it's fabulous <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, uh, the name speaks for itself. Uh, The company Fabulous, because it's just Fabulous. uh, Thank you. But uh, Fabulous is the company that uses behavioral science to help people build better habits. And I'm actually proud to say that it's actually true that the techniques that are used in the app, especially Fabulous, are built upon scientific research as well as a lot of product improvements done from the product and growth team on a day to day basis. Uh, even though I cannot say like things, things is always favoring Fabulous, just like any other company, we face challenges, market conditions, but it's really great to work with people who value personal development and improvement on day to day basis. Uh, so, working with Fabulous is a very interesting journey. Because I'm a fabulous user myself, and it actually makes it way easier for me to market this product to other people.
1: That's terrific. I'll—I uh, used to be in a marketer back in the day, uh, like more than eight years ago, and I remember that it was a, always a problem to market some app which you're not using yourself. If you can use it on a daily basis, you're—you're you're kind of a. You're getting rid of this chore to get back to the app because it's your work and you have to check the app, see how these, these uh, what kind of features it has. But if you're just using it for yourself, it's, you know, it's easy. And um, yeah. it's I, easier
0: I, and it's slightly more personal because mm-hmm. you emphasize the customers and you, by active usage of your product, you realize the pain points and you can also improve the product itself but providing feedback not by not through type form but basically by talking to product managers about things that should be improved
1: exactly that's the, that's the best part and uh, i gotta say i don't think i can see a lot of apps on the app store for habits uh, creation which um which which is interesting because um um that's um it goes beyond this you know normal expected scope of uh, applications like photography, social media, um, you know, um, um, workouts, um, you know, creating a habit is a really good way of uh, expanding your uh, um, in, in, in enriching your life, so to speak. Okay. Um, first, let's define what is marketing funnel notion? I know this term quite f- familiar for, you know, marketers who are in the business for more than a few years, but for the sake of those listeners who are new to app marketing, what is it?
0: Uh, right, there is like a classic marketing term funnel, which is basically the process of person getting to know your pro about the need up to becoming the loyal customer of your product. Uh, Basically, in there are many different ways how people describe it, but I prefer to refer to funnel as the process of the person understanding about a certain need up to using your product and becoming a loyal customer. Usually four steps, at least. It is, uh, for me, we try to build awareness, then we provide a solution, we onboard the customer, get an aha moment, make them retain and help them to become loyal customers and spread the word about the product. Uh, Funnels should never be treated as separate parts because that's something that will create internal problems within sub teams in the company. Mm -hmm. Because that's something if marketing and product, for example, have... Different, different goals which are not connected it will lead to battle between teams one complaining over the other it's like internal battle and product people are saying marketing is bringing low quality customers while marketing saying we're bringing the best customers but product don't know how to monetize them uh this is why even though funnel is very much used i don't use it on our day-to-day basis, just because uh, I work in a team. And by team, I mean not marketing, but the whole company. Mm-hmm. Even though, of course, there is user acquisition team, but um, I mean, that my goals, they are not just marketing specific, they are company specific.
1: You just touched on a very important point, which I've heard over and over uh, since I've been hosting this podcast for a few years by now. Like it doesn't matter what specific project niche category, but people bring up this thing over and over that doesn't matter how good folks in the you know, both the development and marketing departments, if they don't work as a single team, you're doomed to be honest. Now, uh, what do you consider to be the most important thing in an app user acquisition journey?
0: It's the world journey it has to be one single story between different touch points with your product. Uh, Sometimes people, again, like when we talk about working in silos or in small sub-teams, every team does the best thing to optimize their part of the user journey, and it transforms into three separate stories. Basically, when we talk about, for example, influencer marketing versus user acquisition versus onboarding experience. So the user does not actually understand if that's the same product or not, because it looks completely different that by the tone of voice, by messaging, even by visuals or colors used. So whenever I talk about user journey, we have to keep the things consistent.
1: Yeah, the journey is the key. Um, and um, I would say this is by definition what you're expecting from um, influencers when you're working with them to promote your app you would expect them to deliver the message in a language that they use to communicate with their users. But in the same time, you wanna make sure that that language is consistent with how you want them, the end user to perceive your app, to get the impression right. you want them to have from your from your app and uh, to set expectations, right? Right. KPIs, uh, every app marketer has her and his own relationship with key performance indicators. What strategy would you suggest?
0: Ah, uh, there are different strategies used by different companies, and every company has their own best one. From OKRs, KPIs, and you can call it you whatever you want. The most important thing, they should be realistic. Uh, you could have as beautifully written KPIs, but if they are not realistic, and if they are forgotten after one week after you establish them, that's not a KPI. It's a beautiful BS. The other thing they should be trackable and measurable because uh, if you have a goal that you revisit only once a year, very likely will not revisit it because you forget about it or you will find a new job or six change because well, we live in a very fast changing world. So no matter what metrics you have, it should be easily attainable by like, I can check every week my ROS, eight, seven. I can check every week how much net worth I'm making. So it's something that I can check on a daily basis. And it's something that I should should be able to achieve. Of course, the goal should be ambitious because uh, there there should be always space for improvement. But uh, it doesn't have to be unrealistic. If you're a startup and you have a TPI of getting to, like, I don't know, to get $1 valuation in 12 months, it's something very unrealistic for a couple of reasons. First of all... How can you check it on a day-to-day basis? Like, are, am I already 1 billion? Yes, no? Negative validated? That's not the thing. How are you gonna do it? And two, if there are any similar success cases when you had a startup that group from like one people to convert people and change variation within a year within certain marketing conditions. So whenever you have KPI, you can, you should tell immediately if you're following, if you're getting better or worse. And two, if uh, there's something that you can achieve within affordable time frame period, like we are not talking about five years. Unfortunately, little people, or maybe fortunately, little people, make five year plans or ten year plans. Now we talk about more than months or maybe one year goals, and it's perfectly fine. But uh, this is why I'm not telling about specific metrics like ROS, net profit, DAU, DAU to MAU because every company has their own goal, depending on the niche they are in, depending on the monetization strategy. But your goal should be easily checked, should be ambitious, but attainable.
1: Yeah, that's a great balance. Um, I was recently introduced to this notion of vanity metrics, meaning something that you're measuring, it's easy to measure, but it's not actually helpful for your business. So you yeah, get yeah. this number easy, no effort, easy, easily attainable, but it it's, doesn't lead you anywhere financially. So oh, yeah, can be very to
0: Yes, and for, for example, like even good metrics such as net revenue mm-hmm. uh, can be a vanity metric if not used right. Or even daily active users can become a vanity metric if you're in a company is not making money. Agencies really love to use vanity metrics because they say like, but hey, I know you're screwed, but do you see that we help you to scale 5x? I mean, yes, you help you to scale the users 5x, but it costs just 17x and the revenue per user decreased. So that's something about being, I would call, sober and realistic and down to earth to understand your business. and don't lose touch with reality. Being great follower based on TikTok, like for example, Duolingo example. Okay, everyone knows your brand, but is that something people paying? Yes, great, fantastic, great job. But is it just great being great and it doesn't transform into value for a company? Then maybe you shouldn't invest that much time into it. If, or, but if you're just showering with money, it's something you should do. So every company has their own piece.
1: Exactly. And now... Regardless of an app project specific category, uh, we all have these moments when something in app marketing stops working. Boom. What do you do when it happens to you?
0: I go and pray. I take a cold shower. I go for a run. And only then I start thinking, what should I do? Because in fact, resilience is one of the main features of a good marketing specialist. Things break down all of the time every year there is at least one update that will make your life miserable it can be scan it can be switch of MMPs, it can be breaking if your monetization mold so if you want to be a good marketer one of the things that you must know is how to deal with things you cannot control we are not we're living in a bubble we are living in a society and a lot of things are not under our control For example, as of now we have March 2023, there are hearings about banning TikTok in the US and if your company is dependent on TikTok marketing, you will be screwed, maybe, or maybe not, if they figure out a way how to get out of the situation. But things like this happen over and over again. And the first thing you have to understand, well, you are not saving lives. Uh, We are not working the emergency, we are not firefighters. Yes, marketing is a great niche, it's something I love, but until you work for some apps that save people's lives, there's nothing you should be dramatically worried about. I'm Ukrainian and I know what the war is. And it actually helped me to understand that many things that we perceive as strategy are not strategy, because what it really matters is your health and safety of your relatives. And it's something that helped me to become a slightly more resilient as a marketer myself. So, In the case that I described, for example, in TikTok, if you assume it gets banned in the US, it's an industry problem. It's not specific to your app, but for example, if there is something that in your app, you are, for example, run out of money, then all the industry is fine, but you are like more slightly screwed. So it's something that you should fix. and, And the solution will be different than in the first case. Therefore, I believe as long as you realize there is a way out. Uh, There is nothing that's impossible. Uh, If you try hard, you will find a solution. But at the same time, it's perfectly normal when companies fail because success is not possible without failure. If all the companies are to succeed, then what failure is? So yeah, I'm being philosophical, uh, but it's something that actually helps me to go and solve different difficult problems when they occur. So, for example, scan well, life got different after the after depreciation of deterministic measurement on IRS. Yeah, was it hard? Yes, Did it kill us? No, we can continue working with different realities. And that's fine, uh, because again, like this is the problem which was specific to the whole industry. So we are all in the same boat. And we can easily find a solution. Well, maybe not easily but it's still completely possible to find a way out of situations like this. So trying hard, trying regularly, not being afraid of failure, and accepting risk and failure as normal process of life is something that helps you to deal with difficult situations.
1: I hear you, Natalie. It's always helpful to zoom out of your current situation you're working with and see it in a broader scheme of things, like uh, quoting Mark Watney from the Martian movie. At some point, everything is going to go south in you and you're going to say this is it. Now you can either accept that, or you can get the work. Running user acquisition campaigns for apps, uh, what is your general strategy scale-wise?
0: First of all, be close to the world. By this I mean uh, don't get trapped in vanity metrics as we already said. You can grade, You can have amazing CPI, you can have even good LTVs, but if you are getting round of cash, it's not sustainable. So having understanding where you are right now, where your company is, and what are your capabilities. So th- this is when we talk from the bigger perspective. When we go into trenches, uh, consolidate as many campaigns as possible into smaller number of campaigns, but with higher number of events per campaign, because it's something that helps uh, to run successful campaigns on different channels, especially in the uh, iOS environment where we all have to pass the privacy threshold before actually allowing campaigns to optimize. Rule number three, uh, be creative, uh, but but at the same time, don't overload your campaigns with creatives. Let me explain. Uh, you should try different creative approaches but just like with consolidation of campaigns, you shouldn't have too many creatives in your campaign because you should let the system train on creative level as well. If you have too many of them, all of them will receive very little information. But if you, it's better to have 10 beautiful creatives rather than 15 in your campaign, but make sure that Facebook will have enough feedback for each of them rather than the other way around. So on one hand, being close to the reality on the other hand, being uh, consolidating things, but still trying not to be dependent on one channel. Why? Because dependency and monopolies are almost never good. Uh, and even though many companies are kind of dependent on Facebook ads, with IDFA, it's actually slightly changed. We still have Google with being the, majority, the major player on Android acquisition. Uh, so trying to diversify. One thing, trying to have less campaigns. Second thing, using different creatives. Third, but limiting numbers of creating force. So very counterintuitive rules, I would love to say.
1: No, it's it's actually what makes a lot of sense. Speaking of uh, not putting all eggs in one basket with the... Uh, channels. We all know that uh, there is a real chance TikTok can be banned in US and uh, possibly can suffer as a platform you know, on a global scale. It's not likely. It's just a chance. We it may or may not happen. But it just goes to show you that relying on the single channel is not a sustainable strategy. We saw it with Facebook. We see there is a jeopardy of uh, TikTok ads being being hit by. Different kind of problem, but still will make it uh, harder for marketers to use that channel. So, yeah, diversify your channels. And speaking of being creative, uh, ad creatives, looking at the body of the ad creatives you used for ad campaigns you work with, is there something common you would like to highlight?
0: Know your users, know who your customer is, and basically that's one thing because when you know who your custom audience is it's easier to be to understand their needs this is why it's relatively easy for me as a fabulous user to understand what kind of ads would make me feel would make me want to click on it one mm. part of the issue the other thing is uh, check your competition as always as possible that's one of the simple rules but it should be never forgotten but don't copy your competition because you still have to stand out as long as it's possible. But with creatives, well, be analytical in your creatives. Uh, try to go ahead with as many crazy ideas as possible, but bring numbers behind those ideas. This is why some companies have creative testing just to make sure that all the ideas there are validated before going to business as usual. Some smaller companies don't do it, but it's still super important to look at all the metrics, especially revenue-related metrics for your creatives. But why it's important? Because we shouldn't be trapped again in vanity metrics, uh, like, hey, we have such a great CPI, but those people are not converting. So that's something we should avoid. Being analytical while staying creative and being systematic. Just like, just like figuring out and working with difficult problems or when things broke down, the same kind of pie is great when you have creative fatigue, but by never chance you have to stop. By the opposite, the more difficult the situation is, the more experimental you should be.
1: Great. This this is a good good set of uh, recommendations for ad creatives, and it's again it's a great point about the. The fact when you are using a pro the product you're advertising, you can resonate with the messaging you're using for reaching out to other people to use the same product. You 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 can see what will be working, will not be working. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. When it comes to working with different UA channels, uh, what is your rule of thumb?
0: If you can't make things work on Google or Facebook, there's very little chance you will make something else work. If you cannot make big channels work, which have the biggest ad technology teams trying to build their, and one of the biggest you use on their platforms, there's very little chance until you're a very niche product, such as casinos or adult or like something which is more specific to several platforms that you can make things work. If you're a standard, I don't know, hyper, hyper casual game or something in health and fitness or some kind of social app, you must master bigger players first because before going into new channels. Second rule is a le- past learning phase, meaning especially in iOS because now well create a lot of pain for many people. Uh, when you are taking on a new channel, make sure your budget is enough for the system to train. Okay. Therefore, if you have 100 like euros, you shouldn't go and run iOS campaign from Snapchat because instead of some real information, you'll have only nulls.
1: Yeah, that's that's a terrific point about using big uh, marketing channels as kind of a laboratory to assess uh, what is your how good or bad your strategy uh, is it working on the biggest scale, given um how much permissions being captured and used for advertising by Meta, by TikTok, by Google. This is your best chance to actually test your approach. What would be your best uh, key takeaways uh, for the audience?
0: Oh, one sentence. Marketing is about being resilient and try again after every failure. There is nothing like you're having success after success. Quite the opposite, you will have eight failures and one success that will pay, out, pay off all these failures that you had. So you have to be resilient, you have to be inventive, and at the same time, you shouldn't lose your courage from one failure to another. It doesn't sound like very marketing specific, but it's something that helps me to come up with creative solutions for a day-to-day basis and not burn out. Because if I treat every failure personally, I'd be already gone from the pro from the UA marketing for the very long time.
1: Yeah, the problem of uh, going through burn out, burnout is real. Uh, so many of us uh, have gone through this uh, challenge and uh, you better come up with a strategy to avoid these cases. It's not good for your psyche. <laughs> yeah. Now, my final question for the first part of the show will be this. Uh, Natalie, is there something about mobile app marketing uh, would you really like to change?
0: Uh, I mean, there is a uh, magic saying bring back a deterministic attribution but i know that it's not going to be real but if we talk about perfect world let's never ever forget about our customers uh that applies to misleading ads that applies to body shaming and threatening your customers of course we all are here to make money and make our companies grow by increasing their value but we should never ever achieve it by making other people feel bad and miserable. So being a good marketer should not make you becoming a bad human or making other people's life feel bad. This is especially true when we talk about ads that use different negative social stereotypes or some, uh, I don't know, gender roles. It's something that makes me obviously be bad. I want all the marketers to know that money is good, but human, being human is more important.
1: That's excellent point, Natalie. Your bottom line is not the whole thing. It's not the entire game. Um, you have to remember about, you know, be responsible and conscious uh, marketer. Um, don't just go down to the uh, how much profit you're generating for the next quarter or so. That's the bad behavior for sure. Yeah. Okay. That was the first part of the show. There's a second one where I'm asking a set of quick questions to every guest on the show because I don't want to not only bring people the value of learning something from the topic we're discussing, but giving them a chance to know a little bit better people who are coming in the show. So here we go. Question number one. What smartphone are you using now? Is it um, always one platform, iOS or Android, or you're switching between these two?
0: It's always Android. Uh, I don't want to be ever dependent on any single platform, and I know it sounds counterintuitive, but I'm using MacBooks. So for work, I use Apple Production, but my phone is Android always, and my watch is Garmin. So oh. I am not uh, hidden or stuck in the walled garden.
1: You're a cross-platform person. That's nice. <laughs> oh, okay, let's go back in time. What was your mobile, your first mobile phone before the smartphone era?
0: Oh, yeah. It was Nokia Supernova 7200. When I was back in school. It was a very beautiful and small Nokia phone, but I felt very proud of it.
1: <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, those sweet days uh okay back to present imagine you left your smartphone at home uh what would be the, miss- the most missing feature for you right now
0: for me it is definitely uh, paying this nfc on my home because i don't take my wallet with me anymore so if I forget my phone very likely I won't be able to buy anything <laughs> I mean I'm a spoiled kid because usually in caved right you could pay contactless wherever you go and without wallet and without phone it will be just lost
1: <laughs> I hear you all right what new technologies uh, for the smartphones are you most excited about could be hardware software or the combination of these two Probably not something fancy and being, you know, discussed a lot, not something trendy, but just for you.
0: Oh, well, like, do you want me to talk about AI and generic AI? Because it's the biggest trending topic. I think like, um, yeah, it's a great thing. But when we talk about day-to-day technologies, I want our devices, especially smartphones, to provide more health data and to help people build a healthier life. Uh so there are already a lot of technologies in place on apple watches and on like garmin watches like mine but making it even better providing better suggestions and motivating people to move more actively to walk the stairs instead of taking elevators that's something that i would really love to explore and expand within our niche and secondly while still talking about ai I do believe that's something that can help us to <laughs> the very funny use case, but I think very important to understand all the terms and conditions we are accepting when we're visiting any kind of website or using any service. Because let's be honest, how many people read all this Arial file font five uh, text with yeah. party one and party two? So if there is a tool that can in very simple and human. Accept- acceptable forums say what these terms and conditions actually mean for you. For example, there is no way to get a refund or the company is registered in some kind of shady place. So very likely they are doing tax avoidance business. Hello, Uber uh, or something like this would uh-huh. actually help us to uh, be more mindful of the things we accept on the Internet.
1: Oh, Natalie, let's uh, copyright this idea right there, <laughs> making sure that ChatGPT can summarize the terms and conditions for you and make sense of them. Yes, this is actually huge because nobody's reading. As we all know, nobody reads this huge five, seven pages of text written by lawyer, which I don't, I'm not sure how they comprehend what what it says. But they have know, different vocabulary. About,
0: yeah, I mean like this is they have just a specific vocabulary exactly. which is not easily readable for normal humans, like you and me. So actually Chad GPT can become a translator from a lawyer-ish language to humanish.
1: <laughs> speak, speak English to me, please.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Terrific. All right. Um, the very, very final question, how can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do?
0: I believe that all the information is can be shared, and I'm always happy to talk about marketing. You can find me easily on LinkedIn, and uh, Natalie Drost, uh, there I am. Or you can search for people working at Fabulous, and then you will find me because, well, surprise, surprise, I work for Fabulous, and I'm always happy to chat about marketing-related topics because that's something I really love, and I feel I'm lucky because I work in an industry I'm really enjoying. So LinkedIn is the best place to find me. And if you need my email or additional contact, find me on LinkedIn, and I will share it with
1: you afterwards. Terrific. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show and spending time with us. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy it.
1: My pleasure. And that was Natalie Drost, marketing and UA lead at Fabulous. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Remember that we release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head
0: on over to businessofapps.com.